I am grateful to have my dad here with us this morning, Harold Gingrich. Most of you know him. Uh, I had eye surgery yesterday on both eyes at about 5 o'clock p.m., uh, and it was, it was looking questionable for a while whether I would see anything today. <laughs> and so uh, I talked, I don't know, it was probably after 6 o'clock when I talked to dad last night and uh, told him, I'm sure I'll be fine. I'm going to be there and I'm going to preach. And dad's like, just let me come. Uh, so I am, uh, am grateful for him. And so he's going to be here to, uh, to share the word of the Lord with us this morning. Dad, come on up. Thanks, Jay. What a blessing to be here with you this morning. I particularly just was blessed by the last several songs that we sang. Do you realize that what we sang was theologically impossible under the Old Covenant? It could not happen. No Old Testament king could ever function as a priest. And no Old Testament priest could ever function as a king. Under the Old Covenant, under the Law of Moses, it was an impossibility. And yet together this morning, we sang and declared that glorious truth that Jesus Christ is King of Kings, He is Lord of Lords, and He is also our great High Priest who ever lives to make intercession before for us for the throne of grace. Now, for most of us, we take that for granted. But it's important for us to understand that under the, the old covenant, that was impossible. The glorious news of Hebrews chapter 8 is that in Christ Jesus, we come into a new and better covenant with better promises. Would you open your Bible with me? To Hebrews chapter 7. At Eden, we're currently preaching through the book of Hebrews. And as you know, one thing that happens when you preach expositorily through books of the Bible, it forces you to preach from passages that you might otherwise <clears throat> feel led to skip over because they're difficult. And I confess to you that what I want to share with you for years has been troubling to me. And I never could get a, a, an understanding of what the writer to the Hebrews is declaring here. One of the things that we see in Hebrews chapter 6 is that God is immutable. He cannot change. He's not like the Avengers who change. God does not change. He's immutable. And in this chapter, we're going to see something glorious that not only does he not change, but he is indestructible and that he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Which seems strange to us because most of us don't really pay much attention to Melchizedek. For one thing, his name is hard to, under, to pronounce, let alone understand. But as we look into this scripture here in a moment, I want us to understand that the writer to the Hebrews is declaring something revolutionary to those first century Hebrew believers. He is declaring 
and he is demonstrating from the Old Testament scriptures that the Levitical priesthood has ended and that a new priestly order that is perfect in every way has taken its place. Now see, for many of us, we go, yeah. But we never think through the theology of things. Folks, theology is, is important. In fact, I was just going through a, a little interesting thing about church theology in the 1870s that ended up in Noble County Court for three days. There's an entire book about it where they over argued over what is orthodox and what is not. You're going to have to come to the Topeka Historical Society meeting later this month to find out the rest. But what the writer to the Hebrews is doing for us is here declaring the foundation, the legitimacy, as it were, for Jesus Christ, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, to not only be king of kings and lord of lords, but the great high priest. And it does not violate the covenant because there's something new and better that comes. Follow with me as I begin to read here. Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Now, I happen to use the New American Standard, so if that's different from your translation, you'll understand why. If you have the New American Standard and it still sounds different, it's because I can't read. Hebrews 7, hear the word of the Lord. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham appropriated a tenth of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which means king of peace. Now, are you catching something here already, a similarity with Christ Jesus, Lord of righteousness, and the Prince of Peace. Verse 3, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he abides a priest perpetually. Now observe how great this man to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descendants from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tithe from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. Isn't that glorious? Verse 7. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. But in this case, mortal men receive tithes. But in, the case, in that case, one received them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And, and so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there that any priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek? Not to be designated according to the order of Aaron. 
For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to Moses, spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clearer still. If any priests arise according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of the law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, thou art a priest forever. Say forever. According to the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that you'll bless the word of my mouth, the meditations of my heart. I pray that you'll give to us a light of understanding and revelation today. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive. Bless the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Let nothing bitter or critical come forth, but let it be your word of life that brings life to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What an exciting passage of scripture this is for me as, as suddenly things began to open up for me. Because as I said, I never really got an understanding of what was happening here. And this whole guy, Melchizedek, and what the writer to the Hebrews was trying to say and do. Now, let's put this in a little historic context. If you go back, and keep your finger here, and go back with me to Genesis 14. And let's see what happens in Genesis 14. There has been a separation, a division between Abraham and his nephew Lot. You remember that Lot chose the green areas, the fertile plain of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham took the lesser, but the blessing of God's on Abraham. That's a sermon for another day. So Lot is living in Sodom, but Sodom is taken captive by a coalition of kings who wage war against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. Word comes to Abraham that his nephew has been taken captive and he takes 318 men to go. Now, if the Bible mentions something, it's important. And I always thought it is fascinating. Why would the scripture point out that there are 318? I don't know. So if you have revelation, I would appreciate knowing that. Abraham goes, he rescues his, son, his nephew Lot, he rescues all the other people that have been taken captive, and he brings back all the spoils. Not only the spoils that have been taken from Sodom and Gomorrah, but the spoils that these other raiders have taken from other places. And in a real sense, when you look at Hebrew, uh, excuse me, I'm trying to hurry so I get my mix all talked up when I do that. <laughs> When you look at verse 16 in Genesis 14, you see that in effect, what is happening is Abraham functions as a kinsman redeemer who goes to redeem his relative. Now, I will resist the temptation to go into the comparison of what happens in the book of Ruth, where Boaz, the descendant of Rahab, the harlot of Jericho, becomes the kinsman redeemer of Ruth, and they get married, 
Boaz and Ruth become, let me get the genealogy right here, the great-grandparents of King David. They are in the line of Christ. Fascinating, all of that. So you see that imagery of the kinsman redeemer. What I want you to see is that when Abraham comes back, if, you, if you're in Genesis 14, look at verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought bread and wine. Now he was a priest of the most high God. Notice that, two things. There's a duality there that could never happen in Israel. He's a king, but he's also a priest. And notice that the scripture is very careful to say that he is of, the, of God most high. And if you look at your Bible, you'll notice that God most and high are all capitalized. There's significance to that. Look what happens. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham of God most high. There is that phrase again. Possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high. There it is again. Who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he gave him, that's Abraham, gave Melchizedek a tenth. Now look at verse 21. The king of Sodom is there too. And the king of Sodom, Sodom said to Abraham, give, me, give the people to me and keep the spoils for yourself. Abraham says, look, I'm not going to keep a thing. I'm going to only let these men, and he names them in verse 24, who are with me, take a portion of the spoil because I don't want you to, for a moment to be able to say, you made me rich. Abraham knew who his source was, and his source was God. Now, it's interesting to me that the king of Sodom wants his people back. That's his source of power and blessing. But Melchizedek, who is declared to be a priest of God most high, comes and he brings bread and wine. Is there an imagery here before us? Communion. And he brings a blessing. Now, what's important for us to understand is that Melchizedek stands in stark contrast to the Levites who were priests by birth and by generational succession. He also stands in contrast to the whole old covenant system where a king could never be a priest and a priest could never be a king. Here is a duality. He is both. And by the translation of his name, he is the king of righteousness. And by his kingship, he is the king of Salem, which means peace. Therefore, by name and by location, he is both king of righteousness and peace. Two attributes that are linked directly to Christ Jesus. I liked what Dr. Albert Moeller wrote about this. He says, Melchizedek's blessing of the patriarch is critical to the connection that the author finds between Melchizedek and Christ. Why? Because the greater always blesses the lesser. And when Abraham gives Melchizedek this tithe, it's an acknowledgement of Melchizedek's priestly office, but also of his greater status. He's priest and king. Now, I want to come back again to what I've said, and I probably at nauseum I'm driving home to you, is that under the old covenant, a king could never be a priest, and a priest could never be a king. 
And you think of Uzziah, who became king, what was he, 14, 16 years old, that he becomes king? And all goes well as long as he has godly advisors around him. But he is judged because he dared to enter the holy place and offer incense, intercession on the altar of incense. If you have your Bible, skip over to 2 Chronicles. Let me find this. It's in 2 Chronicles, which is just after Hezekiah. That's a joke you'll get Thursday. 2 Chronicles 26. And I want to point out a couple of things. Just to illustrate that the king could never be the priest. He went in and did this. And if you look at verse 16, pride destroyed him. It says there, but when he became strong, his heart was so so proud that he acted corruptly for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Incense, symbolic of intercession. And by the way, you remember when, the, when the, the wise men came to Jesus, they came with three things, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the frankincense was the primary ingredient in the incense that was created, that was offered on the altar of Incense, symbolic of intercession. Skip down to verse 21. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. He lived in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut, out, cut off from the house of the Lord. The judgment, the consequences of his, his pride and his action of going in to offer incense on the altar of incense, which a king could never do, was judged by God. There, there's a divine separation that is there. And Uzziah crosses the line. And he's judged with leprosy, which meant from that day forward, even though he was the king, every place he went, he had to declare unclean, unclean, unclean. Couldn't live with his family anymore. And he could not go to the temple to offer sacrifices and to worship God. Think about the consequences of that. Think about how that would have impacted him emotionally. Just think about that. For the rest of your life, every time you went to beautiful downtown Topeka, you had to go unclean, 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 and people ran from you. Can you imagine how emotionally devastating that would be? What a judgment. The death of Uzziah demonstrated the divine divide between kings and priests. But now, put that in the context of Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, what? I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And in the midst of that, because Isaiah is feeling such turmoil within himself. He loved Uzziah. He was close to him. And how could this thing happen? And yet in the midst of that, he gets this revelation. He sees the Lord. And he sees himself and he begins to cry out. He said, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. And ultimately receives that divine calling here again. Uh, this is a sermon for another day where he says, here am I, send me.
God brings cleansing in his life, and he answers the call. And, and what, what a ministry in the office of a prophet Isaiah had. Now go with me to Psalm 110. This is important because we are, we are demonstrating something here that becomes the foundation of what the writer to the Hebrews is saying that demonstrates that Jesus Christ has the right to serve as both King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and our great high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. David is now speaking in Psalm 110 prophetically of the Messiah. Look what he says. The Lord said to my Lord. Now we could spend a lot of time just on that play of words. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet. The Lord will stretch out your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power, in holy splendor from the womb of dawn. Your youth are to you as do the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, what I want you to just pick up on quickly and note, notice the word Lord. Notice that phrase, your strong scepter, the word rule. All of these speak of kingly authority and the position and power of a king. And yet he comes and he says, in the midst of this kingly reign, God is making you also a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now put that all in the context that under the old covenant that was not possible. Can you begin to see what the writer to the Hebrews is doing? Now go back to Hebrews chapter 7 with me. And I want to point out just four things really quick and then we're done. Can you begin to see that in the context of what the writer to the Hebrews is doing, it is a radical thing for these first century Jewish believers. But he is laying this solid foundation that demonstrates the Levitical priesthood has ended and we now have a new great high priest after this order of Melchizedek. And as we will see in chapter 8, it's with new and better promises. If we go back to Hebrews 7, and in verses 5 through 10, what the writer to the Hebrews is saying is that the Levitical priests, even though they were unborn, paid tithes to Melchizedek. They are the seed of Abraham. And he makes this point in verse 7 that the lesser is always blessed by the greater. It's powerful imagery here. He's demonstrating that the Levitical priesthood is less. And since Abraham gave tithes, they did too. The second point that he makes in verse 11 is, is equally powerful. If righteousness and salvation 
could be achieved through the Levitical priesthood and the keeping of the law and the keeping of the sacrifices, then there would have been no need for Christ to come. There would have been no need for a great high priest of a new covenant. Can you see that? It's important to follow this logic because it's important for us to be able to understand why Jesus Christ is both King of Kings and Lord of Lords and also our great high priest, as we sang, who lives to make intercession for us. Can you see that, church? I mean, this is powerful foundational things. The problem is, so often in the church, we come to church and it becomes amusement. Do you know what the word muse means? The word muse, M-U-S-E, means to think. Do you know what happens to a word if you put an A in front of it? It means not to do that. Amusement is not thinking. Let that sink in. How much Americans love amusement, not thinking. So it's important for us to use that brain that God gave us, and to think and to understand so that we can stand with confidence on biblical truth, seeing how Scripture has demonstrated the truth that Jesus Christ rightfully is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and our great high priest. There's a third principle here, and this is powerful. This is at the heart of what he's saying. Look at verse 12, Hebrews 7. For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change in the law also. Again, under the Levitical priesthood, under the law of Moses, it was only the priests who could offer sacrifices. A king could never do that. But since the priesthood has changed and a new and greater priest has come who is after this order of Melchizedek, it is a glorious thing. For you see, in Melchizedek, there is no record of his genealogy, no record of his beginning and of his end. The inference, and as we read this earlier, is in verse 8, that this Melchizedek lives on. There is no end. Wow. Which means... The lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ, can rightfully take his place both as our Savior, Lord, and King, but also our great high priest. Glory to God forevermore. That's glorious. Demonstrated from the Old Testament scriptures beginning in Genesis, confirmed prophetically in Psalm 110, and now beautifully applied in Hebrews 7, as it reflects the life that Jesus lived. Oh, church, this is glorious news. And I'll tell you what, I started to preach when I was 18 years old. I grew up in this church, and I didn't really begin to get a hold of this until two weeks ago. So if you can tell, I'm just a little excited. You'll understand why. There's a fourth indisputable fact. And with this, we're going to bring everything together. Look at verse 15, 16, and 17. Verse 17, the writer to the Hebrews is actually going to quote Psalm 110. 
But here's the indisputable fact, the fact that ends all the arguments. Look at verse 15, and this is clear still. If another priest arises, that's Jesus, according to the likeness of Melchizedek, that's the one who has no beginning and no end, and we know of the Lord Jesus, he always was, he always is, he always will be. We sang some of that this morning. We declared that glorious truth. And look what it says, verse 16. Who has become such, not on the basis of law and physical requirement. He's not of the tribe of Levi. It's not generational succession. But according to the power of what? This is glorious. The power of an indestructible life. He is the giver of life. He is the author of life. That means his life is indestructible. We sang about seeing him on the cross. We sang about seeing him bleed and die. And in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And in fact, every Sunday is a celebration of resurrection, which demonstrates again and again and again and again, and one of these days we will get it, that his life is indestructible. Therefore, by the virtue of his resurrection from the dead, by virtue of his indestructible life, Christ is declared, the one who is of the tribe of Judah, is declared to be a priest forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Because he is the author, as we will see from Hebrews uh, chapter 8, he's become the guarantee. How many of you ever bought a, bought a house? Maybe it was between you and the bank, but we bought the house, right? When you signed to buy the house, what did you have to do? You had to make a down payment, didn't you? That became the guarantee. You weren't going to back out. That's the imagery here of what we have in Christ, our high priest. Not only did he purchase our salvation, but God says, here, my son, he's the down, down payment on your salvation. It's the guarantee that I'm going to do what I said I would do. Wow. What a glorious, glorious truth. That Jesus Christ is now the guarantee of a new and better covenant with better promises. Now let me just interject this. Scripture declares that in Christ we have become the seed of Abraham. And Christ is the fulfillment of the seed of Abraham. Do you know? Do you know what God declared to you as the seed of Abraham? What your rights and privileges are? I'd encourage you to go back to Genesis chapter 12 and look at some of the things that God declares to Abraham and we have become the spiritual seed of Abraham in Christ. There are glorious promises in there. Do you realize that those who bless you will be blessed? And those who will curse you are going to get cursed? And those are some exciting things that most of us don't even know anything about. But here's a greater thing. As wonderful as those blessings of Abraham are, the blessings of the new and better covenant in Christ Jesus are even better. 
Wow. Families, I want to ask you to do something. One of the things that we did at Eden because of COVID-19, he had brought about something that's really wonderful, and, and we have started something that we call Family Talk. And as families, I want to encourage you sometime today, parents, sit down with your kids. Talk about the significance of Melchizedek being a priest of God Most High, especially what that would have meant in the time of Abraham when there were so many gods. Talk about the significance of Abraham giving a tithe and why tithing is important for us today. Take time as a family to sit and talk about some of these. Then talk about how culturally difficult it would have been for those first century believers to let go of their understanding of the Levitical priesthood and its role in their lives. Because folks... We look back on it from several thousand years, but I'm telling you what, in that context, that was not easy. Talk about what it means here from Hebrews 7 that Jesus Christ is now our King and Lord, but he is also our great high priest. Talk about the context of that and what that means. And then finally, pray together. Give thanks that our great high priest ever lives to make intercession before the throne of grace for us. And you know what? He knows us by name. What a glorious truth. And we can come before the throne of grace with such confidence because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What never could have happened under the old covenant is now a glorious reality in the new covenant. He is our King, our Savior, our Lord, and our great high priest, and he is the guarantee of that new covenant with greater and better promises. Let's play, pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the glorious truth of your word. Again, I pray, Holy Spirit, will you bring these truths? And as we meditate on these passages of scriptures that we've looked at today, Holy Spirit, would you bring them to our hearts with revelation, knowledge, and understanding? That we may see the glory of what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ, to make him, according to scripture, both king, Lord, and our great high priest forever and ever. Oh, may it cause faith to rise in our hearts. May it cause worship to flow out of our lips in our lives. Because of who you are, because of what you've done, and because of this glorious grace that you have extended to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And everybody said... Amen. Jake?